This time on Poll Hub, the booming economy seems to finally be rubbing off on Donald Trump's approval rating. But in a twist never before seen in modern American politics, it doesn't seem to be helping his prospects of getting reelected. We have new numbers from our poll with the PBS NewsHour and NPR that show at least some Americans are doing a pretty good job of compartmentalizing their feelings about the president. And then a real-life case of a major, well-respected media organization using a survey in a completely negligent way. Okay, those are my words, but thank goodness someone else is here to call them out on it. We've got some work to do, so let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Depper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Maringoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. And we, uh, one of the things we do uh, on this show, and I think every poll pretty much that is polling politics in America does pretty regularly is, where's the president? What's his popularity rating? What's his approval rating? What are his chances of re-election? And that's not just in this case with Donald Trump. That's always kind of the main thing that everybody's always polling in America. But something strange has happened with Donald Trump. He's got perhaps the best economy in, in our lifetimes uh, going into an election. Uh, and yet his approval rating is still under 50%, but people are giving him credit for the economy. So is this just a weird uh, mix of people's feelings, feeling one way towards him or one way towards the job he's doing? Or is there something more going on here? Well, why don't we start with a few of the numbers? Okay. So right now, the uh, the president actually numerically has the highest approval rating that he has ever had in a Marist poll at 44%, which means his his numbers are still underwater. Uh, 52% still disapprove of him, the majority. Um, but that is, uh, you know, that is about... It's this high getting, watermark. Well, right? it's, it's getting close to what he received in 2016 in terms of, of, of proportion of the vote. Um, and when we look specifically at the economy, well, a majority of Americans, 53%, actually approve of the job that he's done. And many, almost two-thirds, actually feel that they themselves are benefiting personally from the economy. So that's all great news uh, for the president. Um, the not-so-great news for the president is the fact that this doesn't really seem to be having any impact, as you mentioned, Jay, um, on, on his re-elect. Uh, only 39% um, of uh, voters uh, say that they will definitely support him in his re-election. And what's really striking is that 53% or a majority of voters say that they definitely will vote against him. Now, I, I say that, that, that that's a majority because this is a tough question. It's a tough question at this point in time when you don't have um, other candidates, you know, a, a real opponent on the other side that's been decided. Um, it's it's hard to get to 50 percent on the definitely vote. Uh, most of the time, in fact, President Obama, we saw uh, about this time, he had similar numbers, you know, maybe in the low 40s, kind of back and forth, but never the majority saying they definitely would vote against. That's different then, Lee, right? That's a new, that's, that's a different thing than we've seen. Yeah, and, and I think what's really interesting here is, uh, you know, historically, of course, it's the economy stupid and, you know, uh, you vote your pocketbook and all those kinds of things. And now we're seeing, uh, particularly among independent voters, and I think, you know, we've heard so much about my base versus your base in politics and that the Democrats are now pitching it to their base and Trump has been pitching it throughout for his base. 
But then the independents emerge, and they seem to really have the uh, hidden card trick here because although his approval rating is around 42 among independents, again, that group, 52%, think he's doing a good job with the economy, and yet only 36% of independents say they will definitely vote for him. So the numbers sort of follow or mirror, reflect, whatever you want to call it, um, what we're seeing overall in the analysis is, yeah, he's doing okay in terms of his job performance on the economy, but that's not necessarily translating. Uh, he's still got a lot of uh, convincing to do when it comes uh, to people saying, yeah, I'm going to vote for the reelection of Donald Trump for second term. So I think that's that's where the, the trouble is. You him. mentioned his base, Lee, and uh, we just uh, crunched some numbers uh, from for Ron Brownstein at uh, at CNN, and you know he wanted to take a look at um, what what these numbers would look like. These these questions in particular, the overall job approval rating, and also people's opinions on the um, on the economy. If you if you took out um, white evangelical voters. So if you look, just look at white mm -hmm. voters, but they're, um, they're non-evangelical white voters. Um, the, the president's job approval rating is 44% um, overall. But if you look at it without evangelical voters, it goes down to 37%. And the mm -hmm. same thing with the economy. Um, when we take a look at um, the approval um, of uh, Trump on the economy, 53% um, overall, and we're looking at... 53% um, of all white white voters um all voters oh, okay, of okay, all okay. voters okay. but then it really it really um it really uh takes a dip if you take out evangelical voters so that's really a very important part of his base um he goes from being in the really in the mid 30s among white voters to being in the you know the low 40s uh, once you include evangelical voters so that's a big part of his formula one of the things, Ron, also, so the he, Democrats, he wrote, yeah, go ahead, Lee. No, I was just going to say, so it looks like the Democrats are a shoe-in, no? Yeah. <laughs> Not sure that's uh, necessarily <laughs> not, the conclusion to be Not so fast. Yeah. Ron uh, wrote a piece for The Atlantic that goes along with this this, this data he's looking at for us, and, and he's been looking at some of these numbers. And, and what struck me in his analysis is we've heard an awful lot about, especially in this past week, about uh, Donald Trump. Uh, trying to rouse his base with some of, of these things people are calling racist tweets and this appeal to racism and white nationalism, especially with the squad, the four women uh, Democrats uh, who are in the House, who none of whom are white. Um, and there's, so there's been a lot of talk about how he's, he's really rallying that base, getting them excited. Uh, but Ron points out that when you actually look at the, uh, the white voters uh, who, who we tend to lump all together, there is a huge distinction, not just in these evangelicals, but there's a huge distinction among uh, certain types of white voters and that the white vote, no more than the black vote or any other, is monolithic. And I think it's, it's really important. It's easy for us to talk in these kind of broad generalities. But uh, he points out that there's a significant number 
of people who support the president uh, on the economy, as we've talked about. A significant number who don't like him personally and who voted for him anyway instead of voting for Hillary that now, and it's, it's, a, it's a narrow range, but now are really the decisive vote. They tend to say they're independents and they really, really, really don't like him personally, but they really do like the economy. And they're the ones who are torn. That's his point, is they're torn. That's who is really the deciders here, and they do not react well to what he's been doing with, with race. But it is going to come down to a choice. So uh, I'm not sure which one of you said, hey, the Democrats are in. Not so that was, much. That was Lee. Yeah, <laughs> I'm throwing him under the bus. I didn't say that. Well, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to throw one point on, on to Jay's last comment. And so the independent supposed to be telling us there's something about his being either presidential or not presidential for them that is rubbing off and hurting him. And I think that's where this analysis ultimately will end up. Now, back to the Democrats who are, as I said a moment, to go a shoo-in, right? Not so much. And okay. so we <laughs> we looked in this poll at a whole slew of, of issues. We looked at health care. We, um, we, we, we looked at immigration. We looked at gun policy. Uh, let's see. I'm, go, I'm Green going, New I'm, Deal. Yep. I'm the, going, going the down the change, list here. Um, economic policy. We And then we asked a, um, a, bunch, of, a bunch of questions about um, things like guns, free college tuition. And what we found is um, the Democrats are actually um, in step with American public opinion on a number of issues. For instance, there's a lot of support for the Green New Deal to create jobs and improve infrastructure when it's you know connected, when the spending is connected to those things. Um, there's certainly a consensus about a pathway to citizenship. Even a, a significant proportion, notable proportion of Republicans uh, think that there should be a pathway to citizenship for uh, people who, immigrants who are here illegally but have been here um, for a while. And there is also a strong consensus for Medicare for all. But medical D- depends on how you define that, right? And it's Medicare for all as a choice. So you have a choice between Medicare for all or you have a choice of your own private insurance. And that's incredibly popular. However, the Democrats need to be really careful about energizing their base because Democrats who are likely to vote in the primary are excited about most of the things that the Democrats are saying, but it plays very, very differently among independents, Uh, specifically Medicare for all with the elimination of private insurance. That is a total loser. Decriminalizing uh, border crossings, um, total loser. So there are some with, with independence. With it, yeah. well, um, even even among even among Americans as a whole. I mean, yeah. you have a. I mean, it's a, it has a very it has very little support, though, particularly those two issues. Right. So one thing you got to ask about that is, in it, it, it kind of the broadest sense, are issues going to matter in this election? And I hate I hate to say that because that's what should matter in this election. But, Lee, I think we've seen in the last election issues weren't covered. I mean, there was a study done by a media organization or media advocacy organization that showed that the three network newscasts covered issues like something like 12 minutes during the entire campaign or something. I'm paraphrasing, (laughs) but it's some tiny amount where issues were covered. Are issues do issues matter 
or is this just going to be again about personality? Well, I, I think you know. Of course, it depends on who the lineups uh, ultimately turn out to be in, in terms of who's uh, going up against who. Democrats are right now telling us that 54% are more likely to move in the direction of someone who's closer to them on the issues than even the electability question, which came in at, I believe, 42%. Um, what does that mean? Is our American politics going to be driven by social media again? And is it going to be driven by personalities? It's going to be a lot of that. I mean, with Donald Trump alone, you don't get away without personality being a part. And clearly, it's going to be a back and forth. But I think, you know, there's a lot going on in America today. And if it, you're talking about health care and you're talking about uh, immigration issues and you're talking about income inequality and the environment, I think there are issues that Democrats are going to be trying to put on the on the uh, public agenda and uh, and uh, we'll see how that plays out I, I, I just want to underscore the one thing though uh, because at the last debate uh, Democrats were raising their hands periodically and they were you know saying yes I'm all for that I'm no I'm all against that um, the point Barbara was making and I think you underscored as well Jay was you know if you have Medicare for all, and it's a choice between that government program and keeping your own insurance. That works. But the minute you say we're going to replace your own private insurance with government program and you lose your private insurance, that's, as Barb said, a loser. And I think that can't be underscored enough because another round of debates are coming up. The Democrats understand that maybe they've gotten a little ahead of their skis on this one and maybe they have to sort of rethink some of those kinds of issues without maybe defending their base, but at least, you know, trying to be positioned a little bit better for the general election, particularly on that issue. Um, although there's some issues that are very strong for them, the pathway for citizenship, I was surprised, is so strong, as is the Green New Deal. So there are things that they can stress that they don't get hurt on, but that medical health care stuff is really a problem, potentially. I, I think we, we started this conversation by saying that uh, – People are pretty positive about the economy personally and also feel that the president is doing a good job and they approve of what he's doing. Um, but the Democrats aren't necessarily the answer. And we did ask an overall question. We asked whether, uh, you know, from what they, you know, what they've heard or read about, um, do they think that the Democrats uh, would generally move the country in the right direction or the wrong direction? And 43% of Americans thought that they would move them in the right direction, but 46% of them, including almost <laughs> half, 48% of independents, think that the Democrats and their ideas would move the country in the in the wrong direction. Throw all the bums out, right? So, yeah. Yeah, but on that question, the Democrats are 83 to 10. So Democrats think, hey, this is great stuff, but the independents are saying not so fast, and of course the Republicans are saying not at all. Ah, uh, the fun of the primary season and the difference between what <laughs> yes. we will see in the general election. Yes, uh, you know, and one other thing in this poll I thought was really fascinating, the question on whether Democrats themselves see themselves more as progressives or moderates. Uh, right now, it tips slightly in the progressive direction. Uh, in June, it was more in the moderate direction. There's been a little bit of a swing. We're gonna have to see if that's a trend or just some short-term noise in the data. But uh, it's all very important, you know, who are the Democrats and who do they see themselves as, progressive or moderate? That's gonna tell you a lot about how Joe Biden ends up doing in all this. 
You know, every morning I get in my email box uh, a thing called the Axios Newsletter. And Axios is a, uh, a company that was started by Mike Allen and a couple of other folks. Mike Allen, a guy that is pretty well known uh, in Washington as a Washington journalist uh, for his morning newsletters, kind of sets the tone of the day. And that's what he does at Axios with his Axios Newsletter. But Axios does other things, too. One of the things they did recently was they talked about a poll, but they did it in a way that kind of flies in the face of everything we've talked about here on Poll Hub about the the uh, responsible way to talk about polls as a journalist. It's an anonymous poll. And well, instead of us talking about it, maybe we should bring in a guest who has talked about it as well and has some problems with this uh, technique as well. Ariel Edwards-Levy, who's a reporter and polling editor at the HuffPost. Uh, welcome. What's you, you had a problem with this poll too. Thank you for having me. Indeed, I did. Um, you know, I had several problems, but I think mostly it was just that it seemed to do such an enormous disservice to readers at a time when I think that people who are looking at polls need to be focused more than ever on sort of transparency and paying attention to how these things are put together and the sort of mechanics and this just breathed past that and made it sort of impossible for anyone to look at this in even a remotely rigorous sort of way. Yeah, a uh, couple couple things like uh, what are you looking for when you're thinking about transparency that this violated for you? So this poll was basically provided as something where they said, okay, um, our sources have given this us this survey, and here are a couple of data points for it. So some things that you would generally like to know about a survey that were not included here: who conducted it, who it was conducted for, what methodology was used to conduct it what the actual population of people being interviewed was, how they found these people, what these people were actually asked, and the full top line results. You know, basically almost every single thing that you would actually want to look <laughs> at was missing from um, the results touching that were provided. All, touching all the bases. And I think what was important also was that the survey dealt with AOC uh, and uh, how she's being perceived uh, and it had some negative findings and that sort of went around and fed the scenario that um, the other Democratic Party may be moving more to the, too far to the left. Anyway, it sounds like the findings were of political impact uh, and that became something I guess makes it more That makes it even just, more problematic, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do, you, what, what do you guys look at when you're uh, reviewing stuff at HuffPo? Um, anything else in terms of oh, probability, non-probability polling, stuff that we have talked about on, on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we work with uh, non-probability pollsters, and I think you've seen a real movement. You see this with, you know, I think the decision by CNN recently with other pollsters that the real issue here is just that we're moving into a time when there's no longer one right way of doing things. You know, I think at this point people largely recognize that there are alternatives to just, you know, this sort of what used to be called the gold standard, I would now say just the traditional method of live caller, mm -hmm. dual frame, mm -hmm. RDD. There are other things that can be done, can be done responsibly, it can be done well. But the key to being able to look at those things is knowing what people have done. And so I think that, you know, as a journalist, you can really justify presenting um, a pretty wide range of uh, polling and survey data, but I think you have to do it responsibly. And I think this mostly abdicated that. So it's a real consumer beware, and, and I know the AP has their standard CNN, which we uh, talked about uh, last uh, our last program, um, has advanced a new set of standards. So that's really 
clearly important in this era of transparency of which this particular story and others that we're going to be you know seeing and being published unfortunately uh you know missing on on all these uh transparency yeah it really strikes me that we're we're in a as you pointed out Ariel, we're in a difficult time as pollsters because we may be doing all the right things but the the media in many cases is not doing the right things or at least doing things that we think they ought to be doing in terms of explaining polls and and demonstrating Mm -hmm. some kind of poll literacy if you want to call it this seems like one of the most extreme examples and the kind of thing that really makes it tough for people to have any faith at all in what legitimate pollsters are doing. I mean, I don't think it's something where the blame is solely on the media. I see too many surveys that are released in cases where they're just making far too definitive claims, where, you know, um, people are releasing things that are down to the tenth of a decimal point sort of certainty that I don't think (laughs) is reasonable to, (laughs) to translate, you know. And, you know, somebody had to conduct this and to allow it to be released in this way. So I think that there are a lot of cases where people could be doing better. Okay, and as you know, uh, I do consider you the punniest of pollsters, and I do know you just referenced the era of margin or the margin of error, and you just referred to that in one of your tweets rather than margin as more gin, as in more gin of error. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that comes from. And you know, where, where do you? Where does that? What is the source of that? You know, I think we all, um, as this election campaign, this election cycle is ramping up, we're all going to need our own coping strategies, and that has happened to be mine. Um, you can decide for yourself if I'm referring to the puns or the gin here. But yes, okay, I think that, that's I'll, fair enough. I'll join you on the gin to to cope with this. That well, sounds if, good. if I, I will give you a, a plug here because uh, I follow you on Twitter and uh, at a Edwards Levy, and um, uh, if you want to get some good information and some enjoyable information. I think, uh, didn't you just refer to cash in hand as the uh, amount of dollars a candidate's able to hold at one time? I, that's what I believe it should mean, yeah. <laughs> anyway, th- thanks a lot. Ariel, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Ariel is uh, at the HuffPo Newsroom, which is why uh, all that noise in the background, those are hardworking journalists making that noise. Indeed and we are. really appreciate you t- taking a couple of minutes out of your day to uh, help us uh, explain this. I should be uh, very clear here, Axios, uh, Washington Post, I believe you as well, reached out to Axios for comment, as did we, and uh, have not gotten any comment from Axios. Is that still the case uh, for you? Um, We have not personally reached out, but as far as I've seen, they have not uh, commented to those other outlets. Right. Okay. Well, Ariel, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you as always for having me. That will do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Thank you to Mary Griffith, our executive producer, as always, doing a wonderful job. And we'd also like to take the opportunity to thank the Roper Center Archives at Cornell University, who provide us with the ability to look back in time at trend data, at survey questions, the results. It helps enlighten what we're talking about, particularly when we have to look back at things over the past decades. And we love to hear from you. Questions about poll, questions about polls in general, maybe questions you'd like us to ask on polls. And the best way to contact us is through social media. We're at Marist Poll Facebook, and we're in Instagram, and we're in Twitter, and, you know, all those various places. So reach out to us that way. And don't forget to look down at the device on which you are listening to this podcast on and hit subscribe. We'll see you next time.